If you will open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 11. See, I'm going to reread uh, once we finish getting their exodus down the hallway. Uh, start us off in chapter 10, where we finished last week. Last week, we did, we did a whole chapter, uh, all of chapter 10. Very unusual, and we're going to try to do the same thing again today with chapter 11, because a large portion of it points back to chapter 10. So we already covered some of that ground, but uh, we're continuing our, our series through the book of Acts, the beginnings of the church. Amen. So we're going to start in chapter 10 and verse 44. I'm going to read up through the beginning of chapter 11. Then I want to pray over the word as, as we uh, receive it together today. Acts 10 and verse 44 it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other languages and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And Peter began to explain to them step by step. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive and active and it's you revealing your nature and character and your work to us. And Father, I pray that as we open it, you open our eyes to the wonders of it today and Holy Spirit translate unto each heart as we have need of. We love you and we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. So again, we're, we, we began where last week ended. And of course, we're going through the beginnings of the church, the followers of Jesus. Last week in chapter 10, we talked about a man named Cornelius, who was of the Italian regiment, a Roman soldier who had been seeking God, even though he was an outsider to the Jewish faith. He was seeking God and also doing kindnesses in the name of the Lord. And so one day while he was praying, he had a vision. And in that vision, the Lord told him to send to Send men to Joppa, another town, to the house of Simon the Tanner where Peter was staying. He said, go and retrieve him because he's got something to tell you. And at the same time, Peter's praying on the rooftop in Joppa by the sea. And he, he receives a vision from the Lord in which the Lord went through and said that, that the food laws that they had adhered to that had separated them from the nations were ceasing. And that they were now going to be going to the nations and not to call anything unclean, which the Lord has purified. Right. And as he's chewing on this, there's a knock at the gate. And it's the men from Cornelius who said we came. He, he had a vision. He sent us. We're supposed to get Peter. We're supposed to bring him back with us because he's got something that we're supposed to hear. 
And Peter receives word from the Lord to go with these men and not be afraid. Don't be worried about it. He goes, he preaches the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ. They believe the spirit falls just like in Jerusalem, just like in Acts chapter two. And Peter said, this is happening just like it did amongst us. How can we not receive them into the fellowship at our same level? Right. We talked about all that last week. Uh, if you miss it, we've got it out there on podcast. You can go to the website and, and follow back up to make sure that you, you, you keep in step with this story as it progresses. But then it says he stayed with them for a few days. And word gets back to Jerusalem that the Spirit of God is being poured out amongst the Gentiles, those who are outsiders. And Peter gets back and then they confront him about it and criticize him. It says those of the circumcision party. That don't sound like a fun party to go to, does it? <laughs> But what it means is those who were of the, the Jewish nation, that was the mark that they bore on their body of the covenant. And, and they saw that as, hey, we are inside. They are outside. And they said, how dare you go to the Gentile? You went to them. You ate with them. I heard that you stayed there with them for several days. Like you, you went to uncircumcised men and, and ate with them. I mean, they're, they're, they're unclean. That, that's unlawful. You're going to defile yourself. I mean, them. do you know what kind? Kind of stuff they do? Do you know what they eat? That, that's outside of what we do. I mean, we can't just be letting anybody into the fellowship, right? We can't be letting just anybody into the brotherhood of believers. I mean, these are Gentiles. Do you know who their family is? Do you know what line they come from? Do you know what, what they're out of? Do you know their history? You, 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 you've done this to us. What, what is going on? And then Peter being confronted because basically what they're saying is they'll make us unclean. And we talked about that last week, right? They'll make us unclean, Peter. What are you doing? So what they did was they rejected somebody before they heard their story. They judged a book by its cover. It's the definition of prejudice, right? To prejudge someone or something. I've already judged it before I've heard it. They heard Gentile and they said, nope, not, not a Gentile. They didn't take any time on it. And here they are coming down on Peter about it. How dare you? What You went and ate with them and you stayed with them. And again, these are Gentiles. And it says in verse four that Peter began to explain to them step by step, telling them what had happened. And then he goes through in verses five through 16 and he tells them exactly what I just told you about Cornelius and the visions and the spirit falling uh, when he preached to them. And he, and he tells them the whole story. And then when he finishes that in verse 17, he says, if then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God. When they heard this, the circumcision party, they became silent and they glorified God saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. 
even to the Gentiles. When, when Peter said that in 17, he said, when I saw that the same gift that we received when we believed had come upon them as well, how could I hinder God? It reminded me of what Gamaliel said when they had the apostles in front of the Sanhedrin. Remember, they were accusing them and, and they wanted to stone them. They were getting upset with them because they kept preaching Jesus. And they were like, y'all got to stop preaching Jesus. And they're like, we're definitely not going to stop preaching Jesus. We're just going to keep on. We're going to do it more. When you let us out of here, that's exactly what we're going to go back and do. And they were very upset. And Gamaliel, one of the older teachers there said, guys, listen, let's get them out of here. Get them out of the room. I want to talk to y'all. He said, if this is of human origin, it's going to pass away. If this is of human origin, it's not going to have the steam to keep going. And he gave even some examples, right? He said, y'all remember this guy? He rose up and then that was it. This guy rose up and then he fell away and that was it. He's like, if it's of human origin, it's going to pass away. But if it's not of human origin and this is God working, he's like, you'll not be able to stop it. You'll do evil. Um, you'll do evil to them and you still won't be able to stop it. You may even find yourself wrestling with God. And that's Peter. He's saying that same thing. He said, I saw what God was doing. Who am I to argue with him? And then there was just crickets in the room. Quiet said they were silent, which means what? The criticism stopped and they thought on what they had just heard. And then they glorified God for what he was doing. They glorified God for what he was doing. And so the first point I want, I want to touch on today when we're talking about things that the church does, see, they didn't accept them. They didn't accept the Gentiles until they heard their story. They didn't accept them into the fellowship until they heard their story. See, the church should listen and not prejudge. Amen. The church should listen. Now, the body of Christ is supposed to be discerning. We're supposed to weigh things and judge things and, and tell the difference between one thing and another, whether something's of faith or whether it's of sin. We are supposed to do that, especially in the body. And when it comes to people, we cannot forget to listen. We can't forget to listen. When people come into the faith from out in the world, which is everybody, they're going to come in all kinds of ways. See, they don't just drop out of the sky and then believe in Jesus. They've lived a life up to that point. However short or however long, they've lived a life full of uh, days and weeks and months and years of experience up until the day that they are saved by Jesus Christ. And so they've lived that life and it has shaped them into who they are at that point. Now we have a new life in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away, all things created new. Amen. But you still start from where you are. You start from where you are and that can vary depending on who we are, where we come from, what we've been through. So the church listens. And when we listen, we better understand how complex people are. How complex multifaceted people can be. We better understand why they struggle where they struggle, why they hurt where they hurt, why they need where they need, because we've listened. We cannot forget to listen because in the listening we learn and then we can love from there forward. Amen. I remember when Abby was little, 
she we were I was taking her into the school and there was somebody that worked there and they had kind of a strange walk like one leg straight and kind of kind of pulling it along like this and she could tell something was different right that's not how you generally walk she said why do they walk like that and I'm trying to explain it to a kindergartner or first grader whatever she was at the time and I said well sweetie she, you know, she got hurt at some point and, and that's why she walks that way is because she's she, she she's hurting and when we understand that sometimes the reason people are walking the way they're walking is because they are hurting we can love in a different way than if we've pre Jezebel, what's wrong with you? Why are you walking like that? Right? The church listens. Now listen, we, I, I, listen, the church listens, listen. We don't withhold truth. We never withhold truth. But we also don't withhold love and dignity and respect. Right? We do not withhold truth. But we also don't withhold love and dignity and respect. And I also remember that, that when we're discipling people, we're not discipling them into our own image. We can, we can try to do that, right? Hey, this is who I am. This is what's worked for me. This is what really uh, fi fixes my uh, misunderstandings. But people are different. You can't come at me and Kelly the same way because we're different. We even have different personalities. And so I have to understand I'm not trying to get everybody to look like me. What I'm trying to get them into is the image of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm obligated to remember, I'm obligated to Greeks and barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. And he didn't say that I'm trying to get all of them to look like Greeks. Or I'm trying to get all of them to look like barbarians. He said, I'm going to everybody. And what I'm trying to get, and he wrote about it again, to be conformed into the image of the son. To be conformed into his image, because if the whole body was an eye, where would hearing be? If the whole body was a hand, how would we walk around? We're going to be different, but out of many, we are becoming one. And in that, we can't forget to listen and to love. And so in that, there's going to be times where you're going to need to share your story with somebody else. I'm not saying you got to tell everybody your business, but sharing your story to those who will lovingly listen is going to be helpful to you and to them. And you can't share it all at once. Have you ever been in a dark room and somebody shines a light in your face? What do you do? You go like this. And so some of you shared your story with somebody, but you shared it all at once. And it was like that bright light in their face. And it was more than they could handle at that moment, wasn't it? And they were like. Oh, man. Ha. But if you start out with just a, a little bit of light here and a little bit of light here and you're filling it in until you're known. And what a blessing it is to be known and still be accepted, to be known and still be loved, to not feel like you have to put on some type of air or tell somebody else's story to me like it's yours, because you'll know that you are loved and accepted, even though you've got a story before you got here. Because I know enough to know everybody has one before they got here. So you share your story, but you're also willing to listen to somebody else's. Because again, people are complex. We're diverse. But Jesus is big enough to save all who would come and sanctify all who can tolerate it. He'll listen best and he'll encourage and he'll apply truth lovingly and he'll lead you into life everlasting. So the church has to 
be willing to listen. And thankfully they did. And when they listened, they got edification, they got understanding, they got revelation of what God was doing. That all people aren't the same. Not all people are shaped the same, but he is the same for all people. Amen. So that was when Peter came back and he runs into the circumcision party and then it jumps into a little bit more. So we, so we zoom out from there and we zoom in on a different scene in verse 19. And I'm going to read 19 through 26 and then I, then I want to talk about a few more things in here. It says, now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So after Stephen was stoned, remember Stephen ran into the opposition. They told him to stop preaching. He preached the best sermon ever and then got stoned to death at the end of it. And his martyrdom, him being the first martyr of the Christian faith, caused all those who were concentrated in Jerusalem to run, head for the hills, right? Especially the Greek-speaking Jews would have been like Stephen. And so they, they, they went to all areas, you know, wherever they had family, wherever they found safe haven, but they kept talking about Jesus. They didn't stop. And it said most of them stayed just talking uh, about Jesus to the Jews, he said, but some from Cyrene and Cyprus also went to Antioch and they started talking to the Gentiles. It's funny how you, when, when you believe the gospel, it makes its way out of you. And so they go and start sharing and they see the same results among the Greeks. They, it, it can't help but happen. It said in verse 21 that the Lord was moving and people were believing in large numbers, which just think about, think about the power of the gospel. They went with Antioch is about, I looked and I saw all different kinds of distances, I guess, because there's more than one way maybe to get there. But, you know, it's at least 350 miles away from Jerusalem, which was a long way at that time. Right. 350 miles, a long way uh, when you're walking or riding some type of pack animal. And so they're in these places where nobody has ever heard of Jesus, where they may have heard of the Jews. And they're like, hey, look, 
I don't know if y'all know this or not, but there's only one God and it's the God of the Jews. And he sent a Messiah and the Messiah came and he taught many things. And it was I'll tell you about these different things that he taught. But then he was killed. He was crucified, hung on a tree and he died and he was buried. But then he rose on the third day and he was here for 40 more days teaching us about the kingdom. And then he ascended to heaven. And in him, you can have repentance of sin. Oh, wait, I'm gonna have to tell you about sin. I'm gonna tell you about sin real quick. And they feel that in and in, in they're, they're preaching this among people that have never heard it before in their life. And it's working because it's the gospel and it's the truth. And so even when you took it out of the element, I mean, you would think the Jews, they would be picking up on it pretty quick. They were the ones that weren't getting it as much. They go out to people that have never heard anything about it before in their life. And faith is coming as they're here and faith is growing and they are believing. They're seeing with eyes of faith that this is the truth of the whole world. And so back to point number one, you should see how the gospel is so powerful that it can transcend all of those differences and all those complexities of different cultures and areas. Isn't it amazing? The power of God and the salvation for all who, who, who would believe. That's just a little side note. But this is going on in Antioch and the church in Jerusalem hears about what's going on. It was big enough that word got back to them 350 plus miles away of what's going on. And so they send someone to check it out. They send Barnabas, who we heard about earlier in the book of Acts in chapter four. They said his name was Joseph, but they nicknamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was such an encouragement that they gave him that as his nickname. And so Barnabas was from Cyprus, Remember who took the gospel to Antioch? Those are Cyprus and Cyrene. They were like, you're going to kind of know the lay of this land. You're going to be one of our best. We want you to go and check out what's going on to see if it's true or to see if it's false. Handle it if it's false and encourage it if it's true. He's Barnabas. He's the son of encouragement. And so the church goes the distance from Jerusalem to Antioch. Again, 350 miles away. The church will go the distance when the distance needs to be gone. And then I love this. I love the way this sounds. When he arrived, when Barnabas arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. He comes and he sees the grace of God at work amongst the people of Antioch and it blessed his heart. He was gracious to them in return. Grace recognizing grace and he encouraged them and, and, and told them, hey, stay true, stay devoted, stay after it. Don't quit. Hang on. He's Barnabas, right? He's the son of encouragement. And I love Luke when he's writing this, he can't even help but write good things about some. He's like, look, I don't I don't want y'all to misunderstand. I don't want y'all to think of Barnabas too lightly. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And you see the numbers in, in the people in Antioch. You see the church there keep growing and keep increasing. The church goes the distance. But then Barnabas is kind of paying attention and he's looking around and, and he realizes that there's somebody not there that should be there. There's somebody not there that should be there. It says he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So here's what I want you to be thinking on when you come in and out and when you're walking with the body of Christ. Who's not here that should be here? Who's not here that should 
be here, either as a help or to be helped. Who's not here that should be here? Because I believe that's what was on Barnabas's heart. He was like, I just can't get off of my mind that Saul should be here. Saul should be here. And so he went to Tarsus and searched for him, found him and brought him back. Which is interesting because, you know, I told you they, they needed somebody to go to go encourage uh, the church at Antioch if everything was found true. Now, if he had showed up and they were saying stuff like the Holy Spirit's a banana and we do this, and he'd have been like, whoa, we're going to need some help here. We got to really y'all are. This is not of the truth. But he found it to be true. And he said uh, they sent him to encourage him. He, he's from that area. He would have spoke the language. It makes sense for him to go. But he was saying that Saul needed to be there. Now, Saul, remember, he came up as a Pharisee. He came up in uh, in Judaism. He was, you know, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the law and keeping it. I was blameless. He would not be the, the one you would think of to send to the Gentiles to preach to them. He seems like he would be the perfect one to go to the Jews. Every time he preached to them, they tried to kill him. But he had an anointing from God to go to the Gentiles. And Barnabas could see it in him. He said, if I can just get him here, he's going to help build them up. He's going to help strengthen them in their faith. He said, Saul should be here and he's not. And he went to where Saul was and searched him out and brought him back. Brought him back. So on your heart, who's not here that should be? Who's not here that should be? And I don't just mean people that are missing, but listen, if you're missing, the Lord will send the hounds of heaven after you. I've had some before. I, 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 somebody will have been out for a little bit and, and I'll have more than one uh, man come to me. Hey, where's so-and-so at? How's he doing? I don't know. You need to check on him, text him, see about him. And I've had other men tell me, look, I missed and I had five guys check on me. I was like, well, how are you doing? I'm not doing very good. And the Lord put on each heart, hey, somebody's not here and should be. I'm not saying you're after them about their attendance. I'm saying you're after them about their heart because he put it on you to say, hey, they need some love. Hey, they need some encouragement. Hey, they're not here and they need to be. Go to where they are, search them out and bring them back in. Who's not here that should be? And who knows what was going on with Saul when Barnabas went searching him out? He might have needed some encouragement, too. He might have just been flamed like I keep preaching. Nobody's listening. I'm here in Tarsus where I grew up. Nobody wants to hear from me. God, are you sure? Are you, you, you called me and you said I was going to be a preacher and nobody's even listening. Who knows? Who knows what he was dealing with? But who's not here that should be? And what do you do? You send out the son of encouragement to build him up. You send out one of the sons of encouragement to build them up and to bring them in back into the fellowship where they can be strengthened. Amen. Amen. He went and searched for Saul and brought him back to Antioch. So the church listens. The church goes the distance. The church looks to see who's not here and should be and goes and searches them out. And we'll get to this last one. And it's where we'll end because you're going to have to chew on this one for a little bit. I had to chew on it. The end of verse or in verse 25, he went to Tarsus, he gets Saul, he finds him, and for a whole year, they met with the church and taught in large numbers. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught them, large numbers of them. Here's the next one. The church takes the time. The church 
takes the time, the consistency for a whole year. And they come in and do a weekend meeting. They didn't come in and do a one week uh, convention. They came in and said, we're going to stay for a whole year. And there's stability in that. There's discipleship in that teaching the way of Jesus, setting up residency. OK, we get real infatuated with revival. We pray for it all the time. The word's not in the New Testament, interestingly enough. But revival means to wake some something that's dead or to strengthen something that is weak. Take from death to life or from fainting to strength. And do we need revival? Yes, we do. Yes and amen. There's dead that need to be woken up and there's fainting that need to be strengthened. So much of it, though, is for the lost. But I hear the church praying it for the church. They're not praying it for the lost. I hear the church praying it for the church. Come revive us. Holy Spirit, tear open the heavens. Pour out your presence on us like never before. And I'm like, he came a long time ago. He's been here. He's been here with us and we're, we're praying for him to revive us. And we quit focusing on how we should live with the one who has revived us. How we should reside with the one who has revived us. Again, we pray for revival for the lost. That people that are in the dark will see the light. But in the church, when you continue and continue and continue to pray for revival, I have to ask you, why, brother, why do you keep dying? Why do you keep dying? Think about it like this. If you worked in an ER and somebody comes in and look, they just death warmed over. I mean, shriveled up, shrunken up, can't hardly stand up. I need some help. I'm dying. I'm dying. And you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this person is really bad off. I don't know if it's cancer gone undetected. I don't know what it is eating them up. We're going to get them in. We're going to start hooking them up to stuff. We're going to run all the tests. We're going to check their levels. We're going to check their vitals. We're going to do CAT scans and everything. And we don't notice anything out of the ordinary except they're extremely malnourished and they're dehydrated. And so we hang a bag and we start to get fluid into them and we start to feed them. We get the trays from the cafeteria and they're eating and they improve day after day. And they're there for a couple weeks because they were so bad off. And then they get to feel it so much better that they get to go home. It's like, man, that was awesome. That was so great. I'm glad they're feeling better. Three weeks later, same person comes back. I mean, I'm about to die. I don't know what's wrong. I'm, I'm about to do. And you're like, oh, my gosh, well, we, we must not have caught it last time. We better check it again. So we run everything through again. We look at everything again. We poke and prod and drain them and we test it and everything. We can't find anything except they're mainly extremely malnourished and extremely dehydrated. So we hang the bag again and we fill them back up. And we get the, the, those calories into them and they start to be built back up and they get strong again and they get to go home. You're like, oh, I think we finally got. It. Now, the third time that joker comes in there, you're going to look at him and say, why don't you eat when you go home? Why don't you keep drinking? You see, when you come in here, we feed you and we give you fluids and it makes you better. And you go home and you're not eating. And you go home and you're not drinking. And you get extremely malnourished and you get extremely dehydrated and you end up in an emergency that was unnecessary. You end up in an emergency that was completely unnecessary. Now, we have enough emergencies in our life. I'm not saying there aren't emergencies in life. 
We have those all the time. I have them. I have to go, Lord, this, this is way, this is an emergency. But my point is, we don't need any unnecessary ones. We have so many just regular ones that pop up in life and in living. We don't need to create our own by becoming dehydrated and malnourished because we're not residing with the one who revived us. Jesus didn't say revive in me and I'll revive in you, did he? What did he say? Abide in me. Stay with me. He's like, I have found you. I've, I've, I've got, you know, we sing this song. No shadow he won't light up. No mountain he won't climb up coming after me. Amen. That is right and that is true. And he will go into the darkness and get you. And he will kick down the doors and, and rescue you. But as you grow as a believer, your, your need to be rescued should diminish. Right? At some point, again, I got to ask you, why you keep running off in the darkness? And him have to light it up. Why you keep running to the top of that mountain or far away from him where he's got to come back and get you? Why you keep getting yourself behind that door that he's got to kick down? We love to sing it because he's coming to keep coming to rescue me. And he will. And then he's going to empower you to kick down a door for somebody else, to go into the darkness for somebody else, to go up the mountain for somebody else. But you can't do that if you are still in your own unnecessary emergencies. I told you we're going to have to chew on it for a little while. He's been making me chew on it. But that's what the church does. The church takes the time to teach us better, to teach us the ways of Jesus. That's why Barnabas and Paul stayed in Antioch. I can't imagine they, these guys. This, you'll see them as we continue on. Imagine that dynamic. Just what you know of the two of them. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, everybody's friend, building everybody up. And if you've read Paul, he's a little bit different. I don't know if it was a good cop, bad cop balance there between the two of them. But whatever it was, the Lord used it and it was working to build up the church. To do what? What Barnabas told him when he first got there, when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Don't quit. Abide. Press in. Learn more about him. Walk in the newness of life that you've received in Christ Jesus with the spirit that has been poured out on the inside of you. Paul would write later, he has put his spirit into your heart so that from your heart you can call him Abba, Father. And they're learning this and they're growing. Hey, don't turn back. Stay with him because growing up is going to take a little bit of time. The church takes the time. Amen. The church takes the time. The church goes the distance and the church listens. Listens. This is what we're seeing of the church in the book of Acts and that consistency piece where he said they stay with them for a whole year. Building people up, strengthening people. Why? Because they were going to need people there to be the strength for the next crew that came in. For the next wave of folks that came in from the world into faith. The church listens. The church goes the distance and the church takes the time. And it said, I was going to go back somewhere else, but it said that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That was their, that was their first nickname as a group, it was like all all these Jesus people, they, they probably thought like some of us think that that was Jesus last name. 
Who was Jesus? Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Was that is Daddy a Christ? Yeah, I think so. It means the anointing one in, the, in his anointing. But hey, they said these people are just hard after Jesus. And it was the people that weren't close to them that were calling them that. So even the ones that weren't close to them, even the people that weren't in the fellowship, even the people that weren't following Jesus yet just said, those folks, they follow Jesus. That's what they do. The church is different because of all of those things. The church takes the time. The church goes the distance. The church listens. And those, those expressions of grace you don't find in the world and Christ empowers them in his church to bless not only the church and build it up, but to bring in others from outside because they see something different. They experience something that they never have before, which is what they've been looking for their whole life, though they didn't know it. And they find it in Christ. Amen. I've gone long enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the church. It's your church that we get to be a part of. We are your body, the body of Christ. Lord, I thank you for patience. I thank you for patience and peace to be able to listen as others come in so that we can better understand them and how to love them, how to love them like you would, that we wouldn't prejudge anyone, but that we, we, we would be givers of grace, givers of grace and time and understanding. I, Lord, I thank you that you give us a spirit of discernment, but you've also given us a spirit of love. And I thank you that as the church listens and the church goes the distance, reaching out farther than we have to, farther than we're asked to, going the extra mile like Jesus laid out, that it makes a difference. And Lord, that we will take the time individually, building ourselves up on all the avenues of grace that you've given us so we won't have any more of these unnecessary emergencies. God, but so that we can be strengthened, so that we can be a help to someone else in their trouble. We know we won't always be strong, we, we, so we can't afford any unnecessary emergencies. Lord, I thank you that you give us wisdom in our pursuit of you and that we take the time, both in our time with you and in our time with others, that we're patient, that we don't, we don't cast one out just because they're slow in maturing, but we love them with the same grace with which you have loved us. And I thank you that you'll send us forth as, as a group of Barnabases, uh, encouragers, see, looking for who's not here that should be, and then going and searching them out, being led by your spirit, and being called the sons and daughters of God. As we get ready to go today, Father, I thank you that you protect us, preserve us, sustain us, and uphold us, that we go forth in peace and unity with each other. Lord, as we go through this week, that we would acknowledge you, aware of you, in the name of Jesus. And listen, if you're, if you're in that position where you are all, you are dried up, you, you are malnourished, you are hurting in that weather because of your inactivity or something else going on, just know he is right there. He is right there. And I would encourage you to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts and seek him because in him is your revival, your restoration, and your home place forever. Like it said in Psalm 90, you have been our home place from generation to generation. 
He is where we are most at home. The only place we're at home and nowhere else will satisfy. And he's welcoming us to come home. In Jesus' name, amen.